any guests they may guests that may be here with us this morning. Certainly appreciate everyone here to worship God, to give praise and honor to God. We've got a lot of territory to cover this morning, so let's jump right into it. I want you to take out your Bible. I want you to mark, if you're able to, four different places. Um, these are the places in the gospel that deal with the resurrection. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. So that's Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. These are the places in the Gospels that deal with the resurrection. And we're starting, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are reaching, believe it or not, the conclusion of our series of studies about the last week of Christ. Can you believe we've almost reached the end of these studies? We have one more class to deal with concerning the last week of Christ in this class, and that will be next Sunday, Lord willing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our faith, the place where our faith either stands or completely falls down. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the importance of it, cannot be overstated. Our faith stands or falls right here at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are going to be studying that this morning. It's going to be Lesson 12 in your workbook. If you want to turn there in your workbook, we do have some extra workbooks and worksheets for this lesson. If you need one, just raise your hand. Brother Chad, one of our deacons there at the door, he'll get you one if you need copies of the lesson. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for this moment, this opportunity you've given us on the Lord's Day to come together to worship you, to praise your glorious name, to study about the resurrection of your son. Thank you, Father, for raising your son from the dead on the first day of the week, 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the evidence we've been given for the resurrection. Thank you that you were pleased with his sacrifice, that your justice was satisfied, that your love was demonstrated through the cross, and that all these things were verified to us through the resurrection. Thank you that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. Thank you for our Bible class teachers, for all the young people we have here, for our shepherds, our deacons, every member of this church. Let this study be to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we have seen over the past couple of classes, Many significant events took place on Friday, right? We've been studying about Friday, the Friday of the last week of Christ for about the past couple of weeks. And just kind of a brief review of what we looked at when it came to Friday. Jesus was crucified in Golgotha, Calvary, between two robbers. We talked about that Wednesday. And I would like to just bring up another point or two about these robbers, okay? Uh, 
one of the robbers became converted at some point, right? We talked about that. There was a time when both robbers were insulting Jesus. They were insulting Jesus just like uh, the religious leaders. Brother Dale brought up a good point to me uh, that I meant to say Wednesday, and, and I slipped past it accidentally on my notes, but I think it's important to point out how the one robber that acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, he said, will you remember me when you come in, in your kingdom? This, this man, I think from the evidence we have there, certainly was acquainted with Jesus beforehand. I think the evidence is there for that. Uh, I don't think he would have been able to say the things he said about Jesus just from a couple of hours being together on the cross. He probably was very familiar with Jesus' miracles throughout Galilee, his teachings, maybe even was familiar with John the Baptist. So I think that's an important point to make, that at least that man was converted to Jesus because at that moment while dying on the cross, he's putting all the pieces together. He's understanding who Jesus is. He's probably reflecting on the things he heard taught from Jesus, his miracles, and now all of these other supernatural things taking place while the Lord is dying on the cross. So I think that's an important point for us to make. This is probably his, not his first encounter with Jesus. So I just want to throw that out there. There, there are two robbers that Jesus is being crucified in between. They die later from their legs being broken. Remember, the Jews don't want them on the cross during the Sabbath. Jesus was already dead uh, before 3 o'clock hit, so they didn't have to break his legs. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Not a bone in his body would be broken while he, while he died. There were several witnesses to the death of Jesus. We talked about some of those witnesses. Jesus' mother watched him die on the cross. Can you imagine for all the mommies in the room, all the beautiful mothers, can you imagine having to watch one of your children die, especially in that way, and they're sinless, never done anything wrong, never given you any trouble ever. Can you imagine having to watch your son die like that? The prophet, there was a prophet who told her that, that, that she, her soul was going to be pierced because she watched her son die. She would watch her son die, and that happened. Mary, was the mother of Jesus, was there, her sister was there, I believe Mary, the wife of, of Cleopas, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene was there, Apostle John was there, Jesus entrusted his mother to the Apostle John, he wanted John to take care of his mother, we have Roman soldiers, we have enemies there of Jesus watching this, taking great pleasure, uh, Simon the Cyrene who helped Jesus bear his cross, he's there, there are a lot of people who witnessed this. And numerous other people who were just passing by throughout the day were seeing this. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. During this time, he was mocked. He was insulted. Religious, religious leaders who, who hated him said, he saved others. He can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. There were many miracles that accompanied his death. Darkness beginning at noon throughout the face of the land. The sun was obscured, obscured. You have the, an earthquake that is so severe, 
that it caused the veil of the temple to be torn from top to bottom. Now, someone says, well, what about the dead people who were raised too? Well, I think if you read that text carefully, if the, the, the text says these dead people were raised when? After his resurrection. That's what the text says. So I just think you got to be careful with that. After his resurrection, there were dead people coming out of the tomb, and they were appearing all throughout Jerusalem. So that, that is something worthy to, to note. Two men were converted, and the two men were who? We, man we mentioned one, one of the thieves, but there was somebody else. So you got a Jew and a Gentile, right? And that would be symbolic for what would happen later when the kingdom came into existence, when you had Jews and Gentiles being converted by the gospel. Well, that was taking place even when Jesus was dying on the cross. A Jew and a Gentile were converted by the evidence they saw at that moment. The gospel records give us seven statements made by Jesus while on the cross. Look back to the uh, previous video or notes on that for those. We went through those. Joseph, uh, I shouldn't say recorded, I'm sorry. Uh, he received the Lord's body. Forgive me for that. He buried it in a, in a new tomb. This is Joseph of Arimathea. He seemed to have been a secret disciple. He was kind of undercover with it, maybe because he was fearing Jewish persecution. But he was a wealthy man. He buried Jesus in a new tomb. And this tomb was located in a nearby garden. This garden was near Golgotha. Jesus would be in the grave for three days. Now, it's important to understand that these would not be three 24-hour periods. The Jews would count when they would give records of days, any part of the day would be considered a day. Okay? So these are not three 24-hour periods. He was in the grave part of Friday. That's one day. He was in the grave on all day Saturday, which is to the Jews, what? Sabbath day. So he's in Hades. He's in paradise on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, he's raised, which is counts as the third day. Okay? So we're not looking at three 24-hour periods here. Jesus is in the grave part of Friday, all day Saturday, part of Sunday. That's three days, according to how the Jews would have give, given this narrative. Okay? So it's important just to point that out. And it's also important to point out how the disciples were not expecting a resurrection. That is very important. They thought it was over. Peter thought it was over. They were not expecting him to come out of that grave. If they were expecting that, guess where they would have been on Sunday? They would have been there waiting on it. They were, where were they though? They were hiding. They were running. They were running from the Jews. They thought it was over. They did not expect him to come out of that grave. On Sunday. That's an important point. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary took notice of where Jesus was buried. The women disciples who saw him down the cross, they were watching to see where he was buried. The enemies of Jesus requested permission to guard the tomb. They, they said, they went to Pilate and said, we remember when the deceiver, they called him a deceiver. He said, I'm going to be raised on the third day. They understood. They understood the prediction he made. But they were thinking that the disciples were going to come and do what? 
steal the body, make it look like he was going to be raised, and then this ruckus would have continued throughout Israel. So they said, we want to guard that tomb. We want to make sure the disciples don't come and steal that body and lie and say that he was raised. So they put guards in front of the tomb, and they also put a stone in front of the tomb to make sure it was sealed properly. They secured it because they wanted to prevent the disciples from coming to steal and stealing the body. And so this is where we're at. We've gone through this whole thing here. We've looked at all of this over the past few weeks. Friday, Jesus is tried by Pilate, Herod. He's crucified. He's in paradise, Hades. Remember, he told the thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. But that's where Jesus was part of Friday, all day Saturday, but Sunday he is raised. He is raised on Sunday. All right, so let's go ahead and get to our questions here. Okay, we want to consider the resurrection. Let me just say that the things we're going to talk about today require careful study, very careful study. They require precision, surgical precision, because enemies or critics of our faith say that the events of the resurrection are too confusing to understand. In fact, some critics of the Bible say that the gospel writers contradict themselves on the resurrection. They say they can't seem to agree on the events of that day. So we want to see if that's true. We want to see if the critics are right. Can the gospel writers harmonize on this? Is the gospel full of contradictions when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus? I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the answer to that is no. The gospel writers do not contradict on this, on this matter. They are in perfect harmony with each other. One of the problems that a lot of people have when they make that charge is they don't have a clue of what a contradiction is. They're misusing the word contradiction. So we want to, we want to consider that. Now, remember where we are. Mount of Olives, Gethsemane, Temple, Antonio Fortress, where Jesus met before Pilate, more than likely. He's buried in Golgotha. Many believe that Golgotha was located right out this way, more to the north. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, this would be about going northwest of, of Jerusalem. So this is where many feel Golgotha is. If it's not there exactly, it's certainly somewhere nearby there. Okay, so let's get to these questions. Let's go to it. Question one. Women disciples, where were the women disciples going the Sunday morning after Jesus' death? What were they worried about before arriving? Well, we know they were going to the tomb of Jesus. But let's talk about who the women were, and I want to do this with some, with some organization here. Somebody raise your hand, and you can tell me one woman. Name one woman that was part of this group. Somebody raise your hand and tell us. Yes, ma'am. Mary Magdalene. Someone give me another one. Raise your hand. Give me another one. What's another woman who was in this group? Yes. Yes. Mary, the mother of James. This is the same Mary, mother of James, mentioned also. And if you want to see this, go to Mark's account. Mark 16 and verse 1 in your Bible. Mark 16 and verse 1 gives a list of these women. Okay? And in Mark's account, this Mary that was mentioned by Sister Margie in, in Mark 15, 40, Mark 15, 40, it mentions Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less. This is one of the apostles, James the Less. 
Okay, not James, the brother of the apostle John, who were the sons of Zebedee. James the Less. How would you like to have that name? <laughs> Mitch the Less, Gary the Less. You don't want that name. But he's James the Less. This is his mother is with the group. So you got Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less. When you look at Luke 24.10, Luke tells us about Joanna. There's a woman named Joanna in the group. Salome is mentioned, and then it also says some other women, some other women. This is an entourage of women disciples, and they are going out there to anoint the body of Jesus. The, body, the Bible says that they arrived very early, at the beginning of dawn. So they're there very early in the morning. Now, they're worried about something when they get there. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath. No, the Jews don't work on the Sabbath, okay? It's Sunday morning, first day of the week. Someone says, I thought Monday was the first day of the week. You know, that's the first day of the work week. The first day of the calendar week is Sunday. So they get there on Sunday morning at the beginning of dawn. They're worried about something. What are they worried about? <laughs> Who's going to move this stone? We, we, we want to anoint the body of the Lord. Notice they're not anticipating the resurrection. He's dead. We want to just anoint his body, give him a proper burial. Now, many people have the wrong idea about what a stone or what a tomb of Jesus would have looked like in the first century. I think some people get the impression that this stone would have been as big as this wall right here. No, 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 no. Not even close. Well, say when I went to Israel, you know, they have these tombs all over Israel to this day. And these, and these, and these tombs are not very big at all. I was able to go into a tomb a tomb that was very similar to the first century tombs. And to go into these tombs, you got to stoop real low to go in. And these stones here are not as big as you might think. And they're still heavy. Don't get me wrong. They're still heavy. But they're not like massive. Okay? That's the wrong idea. These are small areas where you got to go low to get in. And they have you know, stones that maybe be about this big here. You know, they're not really large. They're heavy, but they're not going to be real tall, okay? So that's kind of the idea we're talking about. We're not talking about some big cave here. These are small areas, and, and they're not, there's not a lot of space inside, okay? So they're worried about this stone. Now, when they get there, they see some things. They get there and they're, they're anticipating seeing the Lord's body, but they're worried about who's going to move this stone. Well, when they get there, these guards are not there. I thought there was, was supposed to be guards there. There's no guards there. And the stone, they don't have to worry about the stone because guess what? What happened to it? It's already moved out of the way. It's rolled away. And they saw somebody there. Who did they see? Saw an angel sitting on the stone, <laughs> and, and, and he's in a white robe. This angel had descended from heaven. He came down from heaven. And when he landed, what happened? An earthquake took place. He came from heaven, he landed, and the earthquake was very severe. In fact, the earthquake was so severe that it probably moved the stone. 
He's sitting on the stone. But Luke, when you read Luke's account, Luke says it wasn't just one angel. How many were really in there? There's two angels in there. They were inside. That's right. So one at the foot and one at, and at the head of where Jesus' body was. Luke's the only one that tells us that. You see, you've got to understand, when you read the gospel records, they're, they're coming from different perspectives talking about the same event. They have different audiences and they have different missions they're trying to accomplish with their narrative. Okay? Luke gives us some additional information that the other writers don't give us. Now, this is not a contradiction. It would have been a contradiction if Mark or Matthew had said there was only one angel there. And then Luke turns around and says, no, there, there are two. Well, now you've got a contradiction. You understand that? But Mark never says there was only one angel. He only mentions one. Matthew never says there's only one angel. He only mentions the one who talks. Luke tells you the rest of the story. He says, actually, two in there. And so we conclude that there are two, but one does the talking. Does that make sense? The problem with our, when people go to the Bible in our culture is they forget what a contradiction is. There's no contradiction here. The word only is never used, only one angel. You have one, two of them focusing on one angel, and Luke saying there, actually, there were two there. That makes sense. No contradiction here. You have to harmonize. It'll be like if Gary and I, were to talk about this Bible class this morning. We were to go later on and write about what happened this morning. I may say I taught Bible class this morning, and Dale and Mitch and, and Lance were listening very carefully. And Gary says, uh, he mentions Lance and Mitch and Dale, but he also brings up Margin, he brings up, he brings up Mike, and he brings up uh, Brother James. Well, did we contradict each other? No. I just focused on three people. He just gave some additional information. You see that? We do that all the time. So, so that's what's going on here. The gospel writers are, have different objectives, different missions, different audiences, and some give more details than others. But they can still be harmonized. That's the point. The one angel that speaks, there are two there, but one tells them he's not here. Why do you seek the dead among the living? He has been raised from the dead. Go and tell Peter and the rest of the apostles. So there are two angels there. Now, this is going to be a little tricky one here, this next one. But question three, who did Jesus appear to first? This one's going to be a little tricky because I'm pretty much sure I know what the answer everybody's going to say is. Who did Jesus appear to first? Everybody's going to probably say the same thing. Who is it? Are you sure about that? You sure about that? You might be right. You might be, but I'm not 100% I'm not sure on that. Let's go through it. Let's go through the sequence here. The women arrive at the tomb early in the morning. They get there early Sunday morning. Mark 16, 1 through 4. Let's just read it. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, so there's Mary Magdalene, she's mentioned there. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they, we're still talking about this group of women, came to the tomb when the sun had risen. 
They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Verse 5 says, entering the tomb, they saw. Now, this is where the problem comes in, right there. You assume when you get to verse 5 that Mary's still with the group. She's not with the group. She's not with the group anymore. The they there is referring to the other women. You got to go to John 20 to get the rest of the story. Mary's gone. She's gone already. She didn't go in the tomb with them. Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. John 20, verse 1. Now notice how John doesn't mention the other women, does he? Does he mention other women? Look at what it says. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Wait a minute, I thought there were other women with him with her. There were. He just doesn't focus on that. That's not important to what he's trying to get across here. He leaves that out. Mark tells you about him. John leaves him out. He wants to focus on Mary Magdalene. Why does he want to focus on Mary Magdalene? Because later on the Lord will have a personal encounter with her. So that's why he's doing that here. John is the only one that talks about the personal encounter between Mary and Jesus. So that's why he singles her out here. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. She sees the stone. Remember the other women with her. John doesn't mention that. But she sees the stone rolled away. She doesn't go in. She runs and goes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, and said what? They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they've laid him. She thinks the body has been stolen. She thinks, that, now wait a minute, if she talked to the angel, she wouldn't have thought that. Why would she not have thought that if she talked to the angel? Because the angel told him the body's not stolen, he's risen. The other women went in, Mary runs off. She gets to the tomb, they all get to the tomb together. They see the stone rolled away, Mary runs off, she's impulsive, she's gone. She goes to Peter and John, the other women proceed. They proceed into the tomb. They see the angel. The angel says, hold, what are you here for? Why are you seeking the dead among the living? If Mary had just waited, she would have knew what happened to Jesus. But she runs to go get Peter and John, but she says to them, I don't know where they've taken him. you got to really get this because understanding this will help you see the power of what happens later when Mary encounters Jesus. Later on, Mary will encounter Jesus. She will encounter Jesus after Peter and John go back with her. They see the body's not there. Peter and John start, things start clicking for them a little bit, but they leave. Mary hangs around the tomb. She talks to the, what she thinks is the gardener. Well, that's not the gardener. Who is it? It's Jesus. And what does she say to the gardener? Can you tell me where they took my Lord? Can you tell me where his body is so I can take it back? Why would she say that if she had seen an angel earlier who told her he's been raised from the dead? She says that because she wasn't with those women. She didn't talk to the angel. She thinks the body has been stolen. And Jesus says, you're talking, you're talking to the Messiah. It's me. And she's blown away. So you've got to harmonize all this. You've got to harmonize it. Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. I probably would have did like Mary. I would have saw that stone and just ran to go get them. 
But the other women proceed. They enter the tomb. They talk to the angel. The angel says he's raised. And, and, and they start believing. So they run off. <laughs> and Jesus appears to the women. Matthew 28. You go to Matthew 28 and verse number 8. Mary's not with them right now. They just talked to this angel. And it says in verse 8, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. So they got fear and joy. And they ran to report to his disciples. Now, Mary's already been gone to the, to the disciples. But now after they talk to the angel, they're running to him. And Jesus meets them. He meets them on their journey. And he greets them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take the word of my, of my, to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Jesus runs into these women. He encounters these women as they're going to report what the angel said to them. Notice when, Pete, when Mary, watch this now, when Mary went to Peter and John, she didn't say nothing about no angel, did she? She said, they've taken his body. These women, they're going to say what happened with this angel. And Jesus runs into them. Now, this is a little tricky. This is tricky. Did this happen before Jesus runs into Mary later, or this is happening after? It's hard to say. It's hard to say because Matthew says nothing about the encounter with Mary. Doesn't say anything about it. So you may have the view that he appeared to Mary Magdalene first. If so, God bless you. You can take that view. You might be right. You might be right. I tend, for me, I think this is the first time Jesus has encountered somebody. I think he's on his way. I think he is on his way back to the tomb. And he runs into these women first. It's interesting how neither one of these entourages are intersecting with each other, really. <laughs> you think about it. You got one leaving the tomb, one going to the tomb. They don't run into each other. And Jesus runs into them both, runs into these women. This may have been, may have been the first appearance. If it wasn't the first, it definitely was the second. But here's the thing. Notice who Jesus is appearing to first. He's appearing to women first. Appearing to women. That's important because in first century times, women were not viewed, and I, and I let me don't, so the women don't jump me today. <laughs> I don't agree with this, okay? I don't agree with this. But in the first century world, women were not viewed as trustworthy eyewitnesses. They were not even allowed to testify in courts because they were viewed as untrustworthy. That's just how it was at that time. And Jesus is appearing first to women. And the apostles don't believe him. That helps, that helps that. When you understand the culture, that helps you understand a little bit why probably they're not believing them too. They're part of the, the culture. Children were not respected either in the first century. That's just why the apostles constantly try to run the kids away from Jesus. They, they were viewed as just low-class citizens. So Jesus is appearing to women first. Even though... Women were not viewed as trustworthy witnesses in the first century. If this was some made-up fairy tale, they would not have done, that would not have been recorded that way. Would not have been recorded that way. So, yes, sir, Brother Gary, go ahead, sir. Let's see here. Mark 9, verse, yes. Verse 16, 9. 
And that's an important point. Your Bible probably may have that in brackets. Am I right about that? So some people are, some people say that that was not part of the original manuscript. Some say that was added later. So that's why that's somewhat controversial there. But let's say it was in the original manuscript, and we're not 100% certain on that. Then I think it's pretty straightforward then. Um, but even still, even still, it would, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly how far to take that. Like I said, if you, if you want to take that he appeared to Mary first, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if it's Mary first and then these other women later, then it's still women either way. I don't think it really matters. It's, yeah. Uh, and what makes, what, the reason people are still uncertain is because, as you can see, that that's in brackets. And many people think that was added later. Uh, but it could be very likely. It could be very like, could be that Jesus appeared to Mary first at the tomb and then he catches these other women later. That could happen too. And, and I think that would make a whole lot of sense. Um, I can see how people would say that. Good point though. Okay, so where do we end there? I'm gonna go back. Hey, Jesus appeared to the women disciples. So he's appeared, by this point, Mary, the other women, he's, he's appeared to them, right? Then Peter and John get to the tomb. So Mary's gone back to get them. Mary Magdalene, she's gone back to get them. She thinks the body's been stolen. This is the famous story where Peter's running and John outruns him to the tomb. You know that story, right? They get there. They go into the tomb. Jesus' body's not there. Okay, so that's a little shocking to them. That's a real shocking to them, but things are starting to click for them. They start believing some, the scripture says. So they run back to where they came from, but Mary stays there. Then Jesus appears to Mary. He appears to her. And this may have been the first appearance. And Jesus is talking with her, and she doesn't realize at first she's talking with Jesus. She wants to know where his body is. She thinks he's the gardener. Maybe he saw somebody come and take the body. He's like, no, it's me, Jesus. And then she believes, and she goes back to tell the apostles. The disciples don't believe. Luke 24, this is another important point. This is another important point for the critics. The disciples do not believe this. Luke 24, 10 says, Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling, them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to be to them as nonsense. This was nonsense. They wouldn't believe them. And they would not believe them. Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home and marveled at what had happened. Now, this is important. You may see that and go, wait a minute, we got a problem here. This looks very different than what John says. No, it doesn't when you realize the perspective that Luke is coming from compared to the perspective of John. John devotes a lot of verses in John 20 telling you the exact details of how this transpired. Mary goes to get the apostles, John and Peter. They get there. Jesus is not there. Mary talks to Jesus. John wants to focus in on Mary Magdalene. Luke is not focusing in on Mary Magdalene. He is condensing down a big story into just a few verses. Because that's not the point of what he's trying to accomplish. The point of what he wants to accomplish in Luke 24 is the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Look at what he does with the resurrection. The resurrection story in Luke's account 
is mostly the road to Emmaus. The, the time Jesus appeared to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. That's verses 13 all the way down to verse 35. That's what Luke wants to hit. Luke is going to condense the encounter with Jesus and Mary and what happened with Peter and John and the other women. He wants to break that down to about two or three verses. That's not, that's not his mission. Luke says, I want to tell you about something the other ones ain't telling you about. I want to tell you about the road to Emmaus. That's where Luke is trying to get to fast. And he can't get there fast if he goes through all the details of this other stuff. So he breaks that down into two or three verses just to kind of give you a summary of it. You want the details, go back and read John's. Luke says, I'm trying to get you to Emmaus. That's his mission. And that's where he spends all his time. If you look at the resurrection story carefully, he's at the road to Emmaus. And so the disciples don't believe. Now, Jesus appeared to Peter at some point. Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15, remember? And then look at what is said here in Luke 24, 34. When those, those two guys on the road to Emmaus, when they realized they had been talking to Jesus the whole time, they said the Lord has risen and has appeared to who? Simon. Notice how this appearance that Jesus gave to Peter at some point, and we don't have no, no details on that outside of just a couple of verses. But this personal appearance of Jesus to Peter in Luke's account is only given one verse. It's only given one verse. What's given the bulk of the verses? What encounter? The road to Emmaus. That's, that's what Luke is going to focus on. So he only gives you one verse about Peter. At some point, Jesus appeared to Peter, and he appeared to Peter before he appeared to the guys on the road to Emmaus. Because they already knew about it. They already knew about it. You see how can this, this you got to study this carefully to get the whole thing. So after that, Jesus appeared to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. These are two disciples, and they think it's all over too. And they're talking to a guy who they think is oblivious to what happened, but it's Jesus the whole time. And after they walk with Jesus and even eat with Jesus, eventually Jesus makes himself known to them, and they believe, and they go tell the apostles too. Jesus also, and this is all the first day, by the way. <laughs> this is all Sunday. I'm just showing you what happened on Sunday. Towards the end of the day, Jesus makes himself known to all the apostles. He reveals himself to all the apostles. John 20, verse 19. John 20, 19 says this. When it was evening on the first day of the week and the doors were shut, where the disciples were for what? Fear. They're afraid. They're afraid of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced. So they go from fear to rejoicing when they saw him. So let's go through the sequence again. Let's go through the sequence. This is how the gospel writers are telling us what happened on the first day of the week. After Jesus died. Uh, Jesus is appearing all over the place. He's being seen everywhere. We start the day with the women getting there. They see the stone is gone. Mary runs back to get Peter and John. The other women go in. They see the angel. The angel says he's been raised from the dead. They leave. At some point, they encounter Jesus. Mary brings Peter and John back. Peter and John go in the tomb. They don't see Jesus there. They run back to where they came from. Mary talks to Jesus. Jesus. 
Then later, at some point, the women go and tell the apostles they don't believe them. Jesus appears to Peter at some point in that day. Jesus appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then towards the end of the day, he makes himself manifested to all the apostles. This is all the first day of the week, the same first day of the week. Jesus is being seen over and over again. So let me stop there because I, <laughs> I didn't get to finish this lesson. I got more to talk with you about Wednesday. But any comments, questions about this? Yes, sir. I love that. Yes, D. Bowman has a great sermon on that. He was something special about this guy. And he was teaching them about the law of the prophets the whole time and how the Messiah is the fulfillment of those things. Anybody else? Y'all looking at me like y'all just like, what in the world is this boy coming teaching us today? <laughs> but do you see it all harmonizes? You got to get it all in. Otherwise, the critics will eat us up alive. It all makes sense when you really break it down and study what the gospel writers are saying. Brother Dunn, yes, sir. Right. Which harmonizes what, what Psalms had to say about the subject long ago. Yes, sir. You shall not leave my soul in Sheol. Lord, allow your holy one to suffer decay. It will not decay. Yes. Good thoughts. Oh, yes, Brother Brad. Yes, sir. Go right ahead, sir. Yes. No, that's a good point. I, I, I mean, basis, I can only go on what the scripture says there, but you're right. Uh, you know, it seems like when Jesus wanted to make himself recognizable, he could. And other times he could hide it and make it revealed when he wanted it to. There was something different about Jesus. Let me just say this. There was something different about the Lord after he was raised. Something was different about him. I can't pinpoint it exactly, but there are times when the disciples cannot recognize him. And there's a reason why that is. But that's a good point, sir. Um, so let's stop right there. Wednesday, Lord willing, we'll finish this up because there are more appearances we want to talk about. And then we'll do a brief review. Is that OK? Thank you so much. I appreciate it.